0: Good to see you. If you'd please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We'll be in Romans 15 this morning. Getting close to wrapping up the book of Romans, uh, we're going to do the Gospel of Luke next. So if you want to start reading the Gospel of Luke, that's coming up after uh, the book of Romans. Really looking forward to taking a a deep dive at the life of, of Jesus. So. Hope you're doing well, and hope you're ready to study the Word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we get to be in your house, in your presence, celebrating you this morning. And we ask that you would move through the power of your Spirit, that you would guide us, that you direct us, that you would give us hope. You know each of us, you know what we're thinking through, what we're challenged with, where our joys are. So we commit this to you and, and pray that you, Jesus, would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse one, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Scruple seems like a New King James word, doesn't it? It's not a word that you use all all the time. What does it mean? A feeling of doubt or hesitation. So someone that has a place of hesitation when it comes to their Christian liberties or Christian freedoms, their conscience is pricked. If you remember last week from chapter 14, Paul said, it's the person that's having a hard time entering into the things that God has provided that is weak, and those who are strong are to bear with those who are weak. The book of Romans, as you know, really builds. It builds upon itself. The first part of the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, is all about the mercies of God. Paul laid out for us our sin, our depravity. Spent three chapters focusing on the fact that we'd fallen short of God's glory. But then this amazing display of God's grace, that we're justified freely by God's grace. When we put our faith in Jesus, what he's done for us, we receive the free gift of uh, salvation. Then in chapter 12, there was a shift, and we were encouraged, exhorted, challenged to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Well, what does that really look like? What does it mean to live a life of worship unto the Lord? These chapters really show us in the area of relationships, in the way that we relate to uh, one another, relate to other believers we may have differing views, differing convictions, not on bis- biblical truths, but on Christian freedoms, and we're to bear with uh, one another. We're to accept one another in Jesus Christ. This encouragement at the end of verse one and to not please ourselves, this is the root of the issue. The root of the issue is selfishness. We wake up every day extremely selfish. I, I wake up every day thinking about team Eric. You know, How am I doing? How am I feeling? How did I sleep? What do I want this morning? How do I want the, the day to go? And selfishness is the biggest conflict when it comes to relationships. James chapter 4 tells us, why is there wars and fighting among you? Be- because of your selfishness, because of your lust. We're putting ourselves first. But as we put our eyes upon Christ and his mercy and what he's done, responding to him, as a living sacrifice, then extending the grace that we've so freely received. And verse two, let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. So this is the mindset that God wants us to have is how are my actions, my attitudes leading to edification of my neighbor? So instead of trying to please myself, I wanna look to build up those that I'm around. Anybody ever play Jenga? All five of you—it's—it's it's pretty fun. I mean, you—you got these s- small wood sticks that you're pulling out, and you're trying to build. You're trying to build, trying to build, and then it crashes down. But ultimately, that's a good picture of edification. Is am I looking to build? Am I carefully going through my day, saying, "How can I contribute to someone else's well-being? How can I encourage them in their relationship with Christ?" In verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The example is Christ. Paul quotes Psalm 69, verse 9. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He took our reproach. He took our sin upon the cross. Jesus didn't come to please himself. In John 4, he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What brought Jesus' satisfaction was to do the will of the Father, to finish the work that the Father had given for him to do. A few more chapters, John chapter six, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve to give his life as a ransom, as a payment for others. Even coming into the last week of his life, Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. This was the job of the servants. Why was he washing the feet of the disciples? Because their feet were dirty. (laughs) It wasn't this religious act, it was a need. These guys have got stinky, dirty feet. I mean, imagine Peter's feet, right? This fisherman and Jesus He kneels down and he washes their feet and he says, I've done this to give you an example that you should do unto others. In Philippians chapter two, we're encouraged to have the mind of Christ, to esteem other people's needs better than our own. Selfishness is a downward spiral. If you wanna have a bad day today, just think about yourself all day long and you will find yourself extremely discouraged extremely depressed, as soon as you go to bed, you're like, man, that was, that was a terrible day. If, you know, there's some photos, and you, you're looking at the photos on your phone, and, and you're in it, you know, it's a family photo. Someone took a photo of you and, and your spouse. It's a, it's a selfie. Well, what do you do? You examine it. How do I look in this photo, right? There's a photo of you posted on social media. It's like, oh, I like that. I, I look pretty good there, or no, I don't look like that. I don't like that. It doesn't portray me uh, very well. Selfishness is wove so deep in us. Just spend time with a toddler. Do, do you have to teach a toddler to be selfish? It's like, man, it's hardwired in there. It's part of the, the sinful nature that, that's there. And so as we encounter Christ, as we encounter the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, there's another way to live and it's to not be selfish. And it's to look to first glorify Christ and then to serve others, to follow Christ's example. And as we do that, our life is filled with joy. The alternative of being selfish is is serving. It's not always easy, but man, there's so much joy in being able to serve and to say, am I a person that's edifying others? I'm not living to please myself. I'm willing to do the will of the Father. Verse 4 For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. Have you ever heard or fallen into this mindset of, well, the Old Testament's really not for us as New Testament believers under the new covenant of God's grace? Hogwash! This is the whole counsel of God, Genesis to Revelation. And here in verse 4 in the New Testament, it's telling us that everything that was written in the Old Testament was what? For our learning. That means it's for me. It's for you that we through the scriptures might gain patience and comfort and have hope. As we read of Joseph and Esther and Ruth and Job and Joshua and Daniel, these amazing heroes of the faith, it encourages us with endurance and comfort and hope. Because we do have examples in the Old Testament of those that understood God's love, that surrendered their lives to the Lord and desired to serve others, just as Paul is exhorting us, just as Paul is encouraging us. One of the reasons that I love the Old Testament is because pictures, stories, are so powerful. You know, we say that a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So how much is a YouTube video worth? You know, even more. A video impacts you even more than a picture. And when we read the stories of the Old Testament, when we read the story of Joseph, the story of, of David and Goliath, like we sang this morning in worship of, of thinking of God's faithfulness in all of these stories in, in the Old Testament, it impacts us in a, a, a unique way. It's, it's a picture. It's a it's a video, if you would, that grabs our hearts. So there's great value. It's for you. It's for me. It's for our learning. Now, may the God of God, Of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. So God is patient. Aren't you thankful that God is patient with you, that God's patient with me, that that He's long-suffering. He's the God of comfort, the Father of of comfort. And may God work in our lives so that we could be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Important to remember the hearers, the Church of Rome, that's receiving this letter. You have Jews and Gentiles who now have gotten saved and are united in Christ, but outside of Christ, they would have nothing to do with each other. They would never even share a meal. They wouldn't welcome each other into their homes, completely separated, uh, deep prejudice that went along for generations. But now they're in Christ, and Christ has demolished that, and God is working in their lives To where now they're like-minded, that they've come together in Christ. And isn't it powerful when you're like-minded? I think of NASCAR. If you watch NASCAR, any car races, the car can only go for so long and then has to pull in for a pit stop. And I think the real heroes of car racing is the pit crew. And they come out, and what they're able to do in just a few moments It's so powerful. Could you imagine if they're arguing in the midst of a pit stop? (laughs) Could you imagine if they they weren't like-minded? But They're dialed in. They're they're on the same page. They understand their mission. And when God does that in the group of believers where we fall in love with Christ and what he has called us to do, there's a like-mindedness that happens. There's a partnership that happens and it's powerful. That you may... With one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this like-minded, to be in a place now where there's one mind and one mouth, and the Father is glorified. In John 17, Jesus prayed this. He said, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me praying that we would be one in the same way that the Father and the Son are one, that deep of a unity, so that the world can see that the Father has sent the Son. I'm sure that there were those in Rome that are saying, what's up with the church of Rome? Not the building, but the people. Here they are, Jews and Gentiles, hanging out, loving each other, being like-minded because of what Christ has done in their lives. In verse 17, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. How has Christ received us as believers? Freely. He's freely received us the moment you believe in Christ's death and resurrection. You're received freely. You're also received completely. He doesn't receive part of you, the good parts of you, all of you while you're yet a sinner. Christ died for you. You're completely received. He receives you in truth. He loves you and me enough to speak truth into our lives. And the way that Christ has received us, then we're to receive one another to the glory of God. If we want the grace of God to go deeper in our hearts and our minds, give it away. Give it away. If you've been impacted about, man, how gracious God is that nothing can separate me from the love of God, then just don't bottle up and hold on to God's grace, but give that grace to someone else and receive brothers and sisters in Christ for the glory of God. Is it possible that in Paul's heart and mind he wanted to see these Jew and Gentile believers get along in in a greater way, to solve their differences that were non-biblical issues? Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses great wisdom to first lay the foundation of God's goodness in their own lives. Imagine if Paul would have just jumped right into this division and said, knock it off guys, get over it. (laughs) You know, it's time for Jews and Gentiles to get along. It wouldn't have had the same impact, but instead he laid, this is how sinful you are. This is what you really deserve. And this is what God has given to you in his grace, and his forgiveness. Now that you have received this grace, extend it to your Gentile brother or sister, your Jewish brother or sister in Christ. Do you have someone that is sandpaper to your soul and they happen to be a believer? They happen to be a brother or sister in Christ. Would you receive them in Jesus' name? They're in Christ. Jesus has died for them. Jesus has rose from the dead. Christ has received you, choose to uh, receive them. Well, you go, well, they're not a believer. Well, has Jesus died for them? Yes. Would God desire for them to be a believer? Yes. So, So extend that grace that we have received. In verse eight, now I say that Jesus Christ, has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Jesus was a servant, a bond servant to the nation of Israel, to the circumcision, so that the promises of God could be fulfilled, the promises towards the nation of Israel. But also, Jesus was a servant to the Gentiles. And there's several verses here of God's heart for the Gentiles. If you're wondering, what's this whole Jew-Gentile thing? A Jew is someone from the nation of Israel. A Gentile is all the rest of us. You know, everybody that is, is non-Jewish. So God-loving Jews and Gentiles, verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written... For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Quoting Psalms and also 2 Samuel. Because God has been gracious to us as non-Jewish people in his mercy, it causes us to sing to his name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, quoting Deuteronomy 32. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him all You peoples, Psalms 117, and then finally Isaiah. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope, Isaiah 11. Speaking of Christ's incarnation, meaning that God came in human flesh, of the root of Jesse, bringing salvation to the Gentiles, so the Gentiles shall have hope. Church, there's a real gem in Romans 15. I hope you underline it, consider maybe memorizing it. As Paul is just reflecting on Christ and Christ's willingness to serve for Jews and Gentiles, it leads him to this place of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is the God of hope. God is never hopeless. Amen? He's never at a place where he's exhausted, he's confused, he's out of resources. Who he is, is the God of hope. One of the greatest validations of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is the empty tomb. He's conquered sin, he's conquered death, He's going to come back and he's going to rule and reign. He is the God of hope and he wants to fill you. He wants to to fill me with joy and peace in believing. Church, you're full of something this morning. It's just a matter of what is it. Like what are we full of? And God wants us to be full of joy and he wants us to be full of peace. With joy and, and peace, we cannot provide that ourselves. If you think of a glass, a glass is a container, but the water has to be poured into it. The beverage has to be poured into it. I'm just the vessel. I'm just the vessel. I cannot produce the joy. I cannot produce the peace, but God can. The lid, though, is believing. I can put the lid on my heart in unbelief, but if I choose to trust the Lord then he's able to provide the joy and the peace. Joy is not happiness based on our circumstances. Joy is based upon who God is. Peace is that rest in turmoil. It's not the absence of turmoil, but it's rest in in turmoil. Jesus is the prince of peace. Are we trusting God in the current trials that we're going through? All of us have our own challenges, our own difficulty. They're different, but we're all challenged. And are we believing? And as we're believing... God then provides the joy, and he provides the peace to where we're abounding in hope, overflowing with hope, multiplying in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, encountering God, spending time with him, and his power coming into us to where we have hope. This last Wednesday night, we took a whole study and just studied this this verse. If you missed it, you can go to the church's website and and listen to it. But for God to fill us with hope. We're living in a hopeless time apart from Christ, but as believers we can live in hope. So what is hope? Hope is not how the world defines it, where I hope things work out, but it's the confident expectation of coming good, based on God's character and his promises. It's good from God's perspective. And hope deferred. When we don't have hope, it makes our heart sick, the book of Proverbs tells us. This morning, right now, God wants to fill your heart and life with hope. The situation that you're in is not hopeless. Go out, well, I've sinned. I've messed this up. I've fallen short. We'll look to the cross Look to what Jesus has done. He wants to redeem that sin. He wants to redeem that, that brokenness. Look, like, man, my, my finances are, are out of control and I don't know what I'm gonna do to meet the bills that are coming this week. It's not hopeless. God is is, is with you. Well, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And all this is, is taking place. It's not hopeless. As believers, God wants to fill our hearts and lives with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The chapter now turns a corner. Paul begins to share about what's going on in his life and his desire to try to get to the Church of Rome, to visit the Church of Rome. And as he shares these details, we see what's important to him. We see what his priorities are. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Paul says, you're mature to the point where you can encourage, challenge each other. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points, and reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God The offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I love you, so I admonished you. And these issues that we've just talked about, the Jews and Gentiles would walk together in unity. In verse 17, Therefore, I have a reason to glorify in Christ Jesus the things which pertain to God. He's taking a moment to give God glory, to boast in the things that God has done. In verse 18, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to Ilricum I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's passion, his real priority is to see people come to know Christ as their Savior, to share the gospel, to preach the gospel. Remember Romans 1, as he began this book, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. Well, what is the gospel? It's good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Those who call upon the name of the Lord are saved. And Paul says, I've traveled from Jerusalem all the way up to Ilricum, which is A Roman province just east of Italy. How did he travel? By foot. These dogs right here. Did a lot of walking. Sailed on ships. Got shipwrecked. He sacrificed personal comfort so that people could know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believing in the power of the gospel. The book of Acts records those missionary journeys for us. And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. Quoting Isaiah 52. In this really beautiful section of Isaiah, prophesying the crucifixion of Christ. As Paul was trying to make decisions, where do I go? he would think about and pray about where are the communities where they've not heard the gospel, where they've not heard this good news that God loved them enough to send his only son. Oh, this city hasn't heard the gospel. This city doesn't have a church. So I'm going to go there. I don't want to build on another man's foundation. It'd be easier, right? If the foundation's already built, it's it's easier to build. That's the, the hardest part. But Paul says, no, I want to see those that don't know Christ, come to know Christ as their Savior. I want us to try to imagine a community, a group of people that have never heard the name Jesus, that have never heard the answer to their sins. They don't have a Bible in their language. Think about how the Bible has blessed you this week. Have you opened the Word and it has it blessed you this week? You know, this month, how has how God's word been a lamp into your feet and a light into your path? We're so blessed to have access to the word of God. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We've got some Bibles at the door. Just pick it, pick it up. It's our, our gift uh, to you. Many of us might have three or four Bibles. You got your Bible app. We have access to the word of God. We even get to read it in several translations. trusted good translations. But there are people groups that don't know the gospel, that the gospel has not been preached to them, that still don't have the Bible in their language. And there's those that have been called by God to really see the unreached people groups come to know Christ as their savior. One small way that we've been involved in this as a a church has been with the Tarahumara Indians in Chihuahua. The Taramara traditionally have lived in the Copper Canyon. The Copper Canyon's bigger than the Grand Canyon. It's beautiful. It's very isolated. And for many generations didn't have access to uh, the gospel. But because of drought and difficult living conditions, they've come to live in the cities, Chihuahua being one of those. And in Mexico, the Mexican government has not given Tarmar Indian citizenship. So, so they live in Mexico, not being citizens, and they've been segregated to these really difficult neighborhoods, these, these barrios. And we've been able to come into their community and offer a program for kids called Light Shine. And at LightShine, it's an after-school program where they, they learn about health, they learn education, but they also, most importantly, learn about Jesus. And through the kids getting reached, guess what? God in His grace has reached their parents. And churches have started. Tarmar churches have started. And now there's Tarmar Indians that are going back in the Copper Canyon to see their people get reached and come to know Christ their Savior. If you feel led to give and your tithes and offerings to RMC, some of your tithes and offerings go to that mission's work. So when you get to heaven, I want you to look for Tarmar Indians, Right? because you were a part of that in your prayer and and in your gift. You can go on a missions trip and visit these light shine uh, communities. It's a quick trip from Colorado Springs down to uh, Chihuahua. But do you know what? You don't have to necessarily go to the Copper Canyon or across the ocean to find unreached people. There's unreached people right here in Colorado Springs. I am convinced that in our city... There's people that have never heard the gospel. We assume they've heard the gospel. The only thing that they've heard about Jesus is a cuss word. That's the only context that they've heard about Christ. They haven't had the opportunity to to read the gospel of Mark or, or the gospel of John. And as we go throughout our day to think about, Lord, how would you maybe use me? To share the gospel. In my actions, my attitudes, my words, think about the impact that happens when someone comes out of darkness into light and knows Christ as their Savior. Uh, this weekend, we celebrated my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, and their testimony has impacted our family. They both grew up in unbelieving families. My dad failed Spanish class and had to retake it, in Camas, Washington, not far from the Columbia River, Vancouver, Washington, he met my mom. My mom's a year younger, they went to a football game, the rest is history, dated through high school, got married when my mom was 19 and my dad was 20. Moved down to Arizona uh, for work and doing life in Arizona and pretty quickly their marriage started to have some pretty severe uh, challenges. They were playing cards with some next door neighbors And their next door neighbors invited them to a Bible study. Now, their friends were not believers. They were unbelievers, but they had gotten roped into going to a Bible study, and they didn't want to go by themselves, so they invited my parents. And my parents go to this Bible study, and they hear the gospel at this. Bible study. They shared with them, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for your sins. He rose again. You're a sinner. Your sin separates you from God. Would you be willing to call out to Jesus to be saved? And they both decided to trust Christ as their Savior. And it meant all the difference in their marriage. It meant all the difference in our future family. A few years later, my my brother was born. Then I was born. A few years after that, my sister was, was adopted. Now, fast forward 50 years later, and they have 10 grandkids, right? And God has been gracious to our family through the gospel. Because somebody was willing to have a Bible study and share the gospel. Some unbelieving friends were willing. God used unbelieving friends to invite them to a Bible study. Think about the impact that happens when someone comes to know Christ as their savior. They're saved for all of eternity. They're not going to hell, they're going to heaven, and their life is impacted here and now. Remember when you came to know Christ as your savior, that all of your sins were forgiven. That peace of knowing that you're loved by God, that you're accepted by him, there's there's nothing that can compare to it. And Satan lies to us that people aren't interested in, in Jesus. We believe this lie that people are not interested in Christ. And we also believe the lie that God can't use us. We look at the apostle Paul and we think that he was some superhero. If he were here today in person, we'd probably go, really? That's Paul, right? This simple tent maker? But he was available and he was willing. You don't have to be an expert on the Bible. You don't have to be able to answer everyone's questions. Yes, when we do all, as Christians have sin and struggles, and that's why we need the gospel, but we get to share it. We get to share it. It's not about us. It's about Christ, amen? It's about what he's done. And there's people that are desperate to hear the love of Jesus Christ. So let's ask that the Holy Spirit would fill us. Let's ask that the Holy Spirit would empower us to be able to to take the gospel to those that don't know him. In verse 22, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. So Paul says, because I've been out at these unreached places, it's prevented me from coming to visit you in Rome. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Fellowship's a two-way street. You provide refreshment, but you also receive refreshment. If you choose to be in one of these small groups or be in fellowship in any way, you're going to provide refreshment, but you're also going to receive refreshment. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia to Achaia To make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. For it pleased them indeed that they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. This is the power of the gospel. You've got Gentile churches that are giving finances to the primarily Jewish church in Jerusalem. Wouldn't happen outside of Christ. But Jerusalem was in hard times. And so they're sending a financial gift with Paul. He's delivering that to them. Paul says, after I deposit this gift, I'm going to come and visit you. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, that's a great way to travel. When I come, I know I'm coming in the fullness of the gospel. This is a great way to spend time with each other in the fullness of the gospel. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Paul is asking for prayer. He's saying, would you agonize with me in prayer, that I might be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. You'd think that Paul's done with the letter. Nope, he's not. Come back for chapter 16. Two applications for us this morning. Leading to edification. How do we build up believers? Be other-centered. Don't be selfish look to serve. Jesus came to serve. He came to lay down his life. Lay down your life for others. Allow God to give us that mindset of being others-centered. That's how we relate to believers. And then unbelievers. Unbelievers. My parents, their names are Glenn and Barb Cartier. Is there a Glenn and Barb Cartier in your life? You know? Is there a young couple that's been married for a few years that don't know Christ as their Savior that's waiting for you to invite them to a Bible study? That's waiting for you to, to share the gospel with them? Is there a 60-year-old man or woman that is at a place where God is just waiting for you to come into their life, to love them, to, to share the gospel with them? So with believers, We want to serve with unbelievers. We want to serve and love them with the gospel. I've been sharing this for a little while. You've heard this from me. If you've been coming, I think that it is a great time for the gospel. This is an exciting time to be a believer. Why? Because things are so difficult and confusing. If you're looking for answers outside of Christ, good luck, right? There's not a lot of answers out there, but we have the answer and it's Jesus Christ. The last thing, and we're going to be done, for some of you, you're at a place of decision with Jesus. Right now, you got invited here this morning. You're here this morning. And you've been thinking about Christ. And for some, you've really been hard-hearted towards Christ. For some, you've been fairly open to Christ. But this is what I want you to hear. It's not my words. It's the words of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Our sin is our disobedience to God, and it separates us from God. And God justly punishes us for our sins by us being eternally separated from God. The Bible calls it hell. Hell's very real. But God doesn't want anyone to go to hell, He doesn't want anyone to perish. So He sent His Son to die for your sins, die for my sins. And would you turn from sin, repent and believe, call out to Jesus, Jesus save me, be the Lord of my life, and he will be faithful to his promise to save you, to give you eternal life, to forgive you of your sins, and you're gonna begin this amazing relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you haven't made that decision, while Billy comes out and leads us in worship, there's going to be a prayer team available here on the sides. You can come down this morning and say, I'd like to receive Christ as my Savior. If you've got questions, we'd love to sit down with you, get into God's Word together. Online, there's a team ready for you to respond. You can indicate that decision right now to receive Christ as your Savior. So would you stand with me and let's pray and we'll enter back into to worship together. Jesus, we thank you that you came to serve. You came to lay your life down, and we want to surrender our lives afresh to you. We are selfish, and help us through the power of your Spirit to serve each other as believers, and also to love those that don't know Christ in Jesus' name. Would you open up doors for us this week to be a witness? Would you fill us with the power of your Spirit? I pray for those that are wrestling with a decision to receive Christ, we we pray that you would communicate your love to them. In Jesus' name, amen.